So what do we got to talk about today? Well, they're starting to give more details about the creative teams for the fresh start. Oh, and they also moved the Avengers release date up a year so what's the new release date for that? Uh, April 27th, I think. Okay. So they're, they're going to move it to right before Free Comic Book Day. Oh, I guess so. Which, uh, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, I, I thought it was a missed opportunity not to release uh, yeah, Star Wars that first Saturday in May. Well, it would have yeah. been May the 4th. Right. And considering that they release them most of the time in December, and the fact that May the 4th isn't always a Friday, they really missed a golden opportunity on that one. Yeah. Right. But when would they ever have the chance again? Uh, I think uh, them moving it up allows, if Avengers is, you know, goes off gangbusters, it allows them to really hype and funnel some extra people into comic book stores. It seems like a could be a good thing. Yeah, yeah works out pretty well. Uh, my sister's upset about it because it's uh, my nephew's birthday, so she's going to not going to be able to go to the premiere, which I will leave her behind to go to myself. I know, y'all, you normally go to the big Marvel premieres together, right? This is true, yeah. But, yeah, not in the cards this time around. It's me. Well, you know, you missed one here and there. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, as far as the fresh start, uh, which ones got you the most excited? Uh, I'm pretty excited about Jason Aaron writing the Avengers. Ed McGinnis doing the artwork. That seems pretty cool. I'm also pretty jazzed about uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's uh, going to be writing Captain America. Although I'm not as excited about that one just because um, Lionel Yu is going to be doing the artwork. And I'm not... The, it's not bad, but I'm not, like, excited about that, you know? Like, his artwork is fine, but... I'm not, like, the biggest fan of it. Make sense? Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, let's see. So, they'll have the relaunch of Avengers the Wednesday after the movie comes out. Um, hmm. I'm just reading the blurb here. They have the names listed Thor Odinson. Um, Steve Rogers, Tony Stark, the big three of the Avengers re reunited at last. No, no, it's not so much a new theme as a continuation, but Jason Aaron is going to continue writing Thor. Um, and yeah, Thor Odinson is back in the saddle, so to speak. Uh, now, now it's just that I got to deal with. Now I noticed they 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 spelled Odinson um, as one word. Yeah, that's how they've always done. Yeah, see, and I always, in my head, I always thought of it as Odin's son. Yeah. One word, Odin's son. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I guess Thor Odin's son would be the more mythological you know, Thor versus you know, the comic book Thor, of course. Uh and of course, it says in this Avengers one, they're facing off a celestial. Um, 
Let's see. Might hear one of them. Who will answer the call to assemble for the wild era, new era of Earth's mightiest heroes? Hint, one of them has a flaming skull for a head. Oh yeah, they're all speaking of Ghost Rider. Apparently they're also doing like cosmic Ghost Rider now. Well, yeah. Uh, I guess weirder things have happened. Yeah, I mean, they once did a mini-series where Frank Castle came back as, like, Frankenstein's monster. Frankencastle. Yeah, but, uh, you know, sometimes that campy stuff uh, people enjoy, so... Yeah, sure, it can be fun. Um... So they've got, of course, uh... Yeah, uh, the new Black Panther that will be at the end of the month, uh, at the end of May, and Venom number one the second week, a Thor number one in June. Yeah, okay, so uh, yeah, they they when's the Ant Man and the Wasp movie? I think that one's good for July. Okay. So they've got a mini series for Ant Man and the Wasp coming starting in June. So yeah, I think it's supposed to be a. Uh, Scott Lang and uh, Nadia Pam, right? Yeah. So, not quite the boss from the movie, but probably as close as they can get in the current roster of characters. Well, so... Yeah, well... And, uh, you know, it's, it's something so that if that we're building up the, the hype for Ant-Man and the Wasp, the, uh, somebody has to come in and reaches for a title, they will have something to grab. Yeah, so... Definitely, uh, so... So they got Coates doing uh, Black Panther and uh, Captain America. Or no, that, no that's Donnie Coates. No, that's, I'm sorry, he's doing Captain America and... Yeah, no, Captain America and Black Panther. So he'll be doing two books, two big books. Yep. Especially with Black um, Panther being, a, it's a bigger profile book than it would have been before. Right. Just a movie. Right, right. Now that, I mean... It, it has the, the the potential with the, how hot the movie was to turn that into a uh, you know grade A tier one character. Yeah, uh, if they if they follow it up with a great book, yeah, I mean now is the time to do it. And the Black Panther book has been really cool so far. Although I guess the current arc I think they're on is probably pretty close to ending, and so that might be a good opportunity to get new readers on um, right after that. Yeah. 
But the one thing I'm not really excited about is they have announced that Nick Spencer is going to be writing Spider-Man. Which... I've been frustrated with Nick Spencer as of late. I seem to recall going on a cussing tirade when news about his uh, writing of Captain America So, uh, what about him just drives you crazy anyway? I didn't care for the whole Captain America is now a Nazi thing. And I knew that it was like going to eventually be reversed or whatever. That's not the type of thing that's obviously going to stick. But, or obviously not the type of thing that's going to stick. But, yeah. It was a shitty way to do the character. Especially the way they were playing it off as though, like, oh no, we've been a Nazi the whole time. You know? In fact, um, after they did the whole, like, there was that one page at the end of his Captain America issue where, like, Captain like, Hail Hydra. And it became a meme right afterwards where um, people replaced Cap with various other characters saying things that were completely out of character. So there was already an existing image of Spider Man in the pose looking at the camera. You know, fuck responsibility. Ready for people to use to respond to this news, which I did so myself earlier this very day. But so you know, uh, I mean, but it, isn't uh, wouldn't that just be Iron Man? <laughs> well, they are making Iron Spidey a lot more Iron Man in recent years. Although they have gone back on that recently, have made it, made it understand that he lost his company. So, yeah, classic Parker. But I'm down on the guy lately. But I believe he also wrote that Black Widow run that I rather enjoyed uh, just before taking over Captain America. And you know, I'm sure he has a name to do good, but. My initial reaction is, you know, too soon. It's too soon after he made Captain Nazi. Yeah, you to trust him again. At the very least, for me to be excited about a book he's writing. Like, I think they're doing a free comic book day issue, so good chance to check out, see what they're doing. And if um, I read it and Spider-Man is, like, waterboarding people, then I'll know not to check out the rest of it. Well, yeah. You know, they've already did the big twist on Spider-Man with the Superior Spider-Man, where it was Doc Ock inside. Yeah, I mean, Oh, and speaking of which, people are pointing out that he did write a tie-in for that, the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. It had a decent amount of acclaim. So, man, there's that. There's that feather in his cap. But it is the announcement I am by far the least excited about in terms of the Oh, when I mentioned uh, Jason Aaron uh, continuing to write Thor, I guess I buried the lead in that uh, Mike Del Mundo is going to be doing the artwork for it, which he did good work with Aaron in the past with their Weird World book. So, yeah, I can make for some cool shit. Del Mundo does a good job drawing crazy shit. And Jason Aaron does a good job writing crazy shit. So, good matchup. Yeah, good combination there. Uh, 
So what's up new with you? I well, you know, um, you know, as far as the comic book world or the comic shop world, you know, yeah, we're making a few little tweaks here and there as far as the fixtures and stuff like that. Uh, slowly upgrading some things. Uh, you know, magic, uh, you know, on other gaming uh, and geek news... You know, other than just the local improvements we're trying to make here at the shop, uh, Magic is uh, coming out with another uh, another reprint set called Masters Twenty Five, which is you know this is supposed to celebrate their twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, and so, Magic only been around for twenty five years. Twenty five years. Nineteen ninety three. I guess. It's always existed in my living memory. I was four years old. So, yeah. <laughs> well, happy anniversary. It takes a lot of effort to keep something going for quarter century. You know, and especially you look at all the other trends that have come and gone, they've stayed pretty steady in popularity. Yeah. I mean, I know Yu-Gi-Oh! and the Pokemon trading card game are still around, but I don't feel as though they've maintained popularity the way that Magic has. Really, they haven't. They've they've had booms, and of course Magic has had booms and busts, uh, but not to uh, the extremes Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon have. Uh, and you know, um, and other card games have come and blew up real big and went away real fast. Uh, like right now, Yu-Gi-Oh is is in deep deep trouble right now to the Dragon Ball card game, which is just blown up gangbusters. Yeah, so I guess they're drawing from that anime card game lover market. Well, believe it or not, yeah. I mean, oh no, I wasn't being sarcastic at all. I mean that that does stand to reason. Yeah, uh, Pokemon has always been number two. Uh, how distant a number two has changed from time to time. When Pokemon Pokemon Go uh, came out, it experienced a big resurgence, and it played on it really well. Uh, just because it went after that nostalgia market. Yeah. Pokemon was a phenomenon when I was a kid. It was one of the things that it seemed like every kid had red or blue. It seemed like every kid was collecting the cards. Every kid was watching the cartoon. Um, I've kept up with the game, but the cartoons, honestly, it's, it is for kids. And so, yeah, you don't want to stick with that. And... I know. Everyone I knew just collected cards when we were kids. I never really learned how to play. In fact, um, I probably told this story before, but the big card to get when I was a kid was Charizard. Because, you know, Charizard's awesome. Um, and also, he has, like, the number next to his attack is 100, which is the biggest number on any of them. Turns out Charizard's not very good at all as a card. Um, you can only make that attack, like, one out of every, like, three or four rounds if you're lucky. Um, 
and it has a level three Pokemon. You have to spend a few rounds to summon him in the first place. So Charizard's kind of a shit card, honestly. But that was the one everyone wanted, which I think is indicative of how little we understood of the actual game. We just wanted you know Charizard because everyone likes Charizard. Yeah, he, he's this cool dragon-looking dude. You know. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, I am not even necessarily a Pokemon fan, but, you know, I've seen little toy Charizards and Charizards and stuff like that, and they're cool little looking dragons, and, yeah. Charizard is popular enough that he's one of the Pokemon you could expect someone to recognize, even if they don't know Pokemon. Right, I'd say... Not like Pikachu. Yeah, I'd say next to Pikachu, if you would eliminate that one, who's, like, their mascot, their logo... He is probably the turtle, squirtle, Bulbasaur, whatever. Uh, well, there is Squirtle, and then there's also Bulbasaur, and then there's Charmander. And they evolve eventually into Venusaur, Blastoise, and uh, So the little blue turtle. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, then the, the red dragon are the three that come to my head as being the core three. Sure, okay. Uh, but that's just from someone who's never really watched the cartoons, never really. And then the, the evil talking cat. But, um, but that's just from the one, you know, just seeing the market, marketing and being exposed to it, just having been been around, you know. Um, now, even uh, even though I was older, you know, uh, <laughs> you know I knew it's strictly for kids. It doesn't right. really like hold up the way something like maybe um, well Samurai Jack obviously holds up extremely well uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is just enjoyable for adults but then there's other things that like Dragon Ball Z is watchable as an adult but not as exciting as it was when you were a kid I guess like you enjoy it more as a kid but it's a story put together well enough that you can get some enjoyment out of it as an adult it's not true for Pokemon Pokemon is strictly kid shit right but I was saying I definitely knew plenty of uh, people that were in their teens that played the game or whether it be the card or the video and stuff like like that. Um, video games are just damn good games. The cartoon though is like it's on a treadmill for one thing. Like Ash never has any sort of character progression. She follows the same formula with every new region. He never like seems to be getting any better. Well, and they seem to be inventing new regions or something, right? Well, yes, yeah. because they come with a new region for every game, and so Ash always heads off to the new region when the new games come out. Like, he's hanging out in the region where uh, Sun and Moon take place. Mm. Well, and, you know, and of course, see, I think it is a video game first and foremost. That's true. Um, uh, and everything else is to promote the video game originally. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Now, of course, the card game uh, now has a life of its own. Uh, and has for a while now, but it's still, I mean, it's owned by Nintendo, which Nintendo, they're a video game company, that's what they do. Uh, although, ironically, they, of course... I feel like you can't fault their priorities. Right. Uh, the, the ironic thing about the card game now is that is actually kind of where they started. They, they, for their first major success was being uh, uh, the 
making uh, Japanese playing cards yeah. with uh, Disney characters on them, licensed characters. The Disney connection. Um, now, were they just like your typical playing cards? You know, Jack Queen King. Ace? Right. They were originally a toy company. Um, and uh, they did games and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, no, um, yeah, but they they did those back in the early 19s and late 1800s. Yeah, well, so. That's one of those things where, like, Nintendo is much, much older than you think it should be because of it existing in that form. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, yeah, uh, while the, the name Nintendo itself uh, had been around for a long time, there's... You, if you go back and look at their corporate history, you know, a couple of... They've merged with various companies and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh... Yeah. Uh, Sega, you know, is actually short for service games. But, I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, they originally... It was started by uh, soldiers... He started a company doing uh, arcades on uh, military bases yeah. in the Asian Pacific region. When was this around? Uh, after, they started with bowling alleys after World War II. Okay. How about Atari? Were they anything before they were a video game company? Well, Atari, Nolan Bushnell programmed for, for Apple. I mean, but they started as Atari. Okay, so that's, I guess, the most... Sensical transition to video games. They started as a yeah a video. A, Atari started itself as a video game company. Uh, their their name wasn't going to be Atari. It was going to be XXYYZZ Games or something like that. But but. Uh, you know, somebody when they went to trademark that game, somebody already had that. So uh, they had a a game they like to play called Go, which you know, I mean, is the the old classic Oriental you know game or whatever. And Atari is one of the terms from that. That was the first thing they could think of because they're like, "Where well, we got to register a name? We got to get it done. We're here." Yeah. You know. What is I'm not sure if you have a working knowledge of Go, but what does it? What is the Atari in the context of Go? Um, you know, I don't know, but I'm just curious uh, if it's like something in the game that. Yeah, it's a it's it's a move in the game. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's like any sort of particular reason to do the video game. Atari in Chinese uh, is a term used for go in a situation where a stone or a chain of stones only has one liberty, maybe capture the next move, if not. So essentially, it's kind of like check. Okay. All right, so I guess it's a winning move or close to one. Right. Uh, but... Uh, 
Uh, yeah, so Atari actually was probably the only one that started out with the intention of making video games. Uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, Sony, you know, had all... Sony had all kinds of other stuff going on. Uh, yeah, before they got into it. Uh, and uh, most of the video game market can be blamed on Atari's mistakes. Or, or most are somebody's mistakes. Well, I mean, Nintendo probably wouldn't have been able to rise to popularity if they weren't filling the void left behind by Atari. Just uh, well, the Atari 2600 uh, was the longest produced system. Uh, at, it was made for 14 years. They stopped production of that in the 90s, believe it or not. Uh, but in the early 80s, they turned down the rights to be the American distributor of the Nintendo. Because it could have been the the Atari family computer. I'm glad that they didn't that didn't happen just because that's or more the annoying. Atari Entertainment System. Yeah, it's more annoying to say than NES. <laughs> yeah, but uh, now was the Atari still around when they were making Super Nintendos? Because that would be especially. Uh, almost. Because uh, I think the Atari officially stopped production in 1994. Okay. Oh, right. The N64 was out by, like, 96. Right. I think it came out in 95. Okay. So I think it was, like, just before. Like, really so close. Super Nintendo, but before yes. N64. Okay. Man, that's, that's funny to think of. <laughs> like, they were competing against objectively superior consoles for two entire console generations. Well, yeah, uh, and they uh, they actually have a new uh, console coming out here soon that I think is supposed to be able to have like a Nintendo market play or not like the Xbox marketplace type thing on it they're being real cryptic about it. Oh, sorry. 1992. It's, it stopped, stopped selling it in 1992. Um, but one of the, uh, the other big things that Atari made a lot of money for that kept them around for so long uh, and other part of the reason why they stayed so long is USB technology. Their controllers are the first controllers to use USB technology. They invented it. They had what they called the 555 patent. That that is the basic technology that's used in all plug-in controllers. I think I saw that you could plug in a Sega Genesis controller to an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and it would work perfectly fine. I mean, uh, most of the buttons are useless on it, but 
It's well, if you look, you can wire, take a USB plug and like splice it and wire in a Nintendo, a Sega, an Atari controller, and it's still, if you had the right software or whatever, it would recognize it just fine, you know, if you told it what it was or whatever. Uh, there, I mean, just like any USB plug and play device. They had the 555 patent, which Nintendo and other companies paid, other video game companies paid them. But to maintain the strength of their patent, they still had to be in production. But, now, the, of course, that is Harold, uh, and the USB controller is, is the, quote, second generation of video games or whatever. Because <laughs> before that, uh, the original console uh, hardware, it was either more computer where you had to do a lot more programming and stuff like that. But as far as the home video game consoles, were all kind of limited to their original programming to what games could be in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the other second big blunder uh, in video games is uh, has to do with the Sony PlayStation and the Philips uh, 3DO. So Nintendo wanted to develop a disc drive. They had to compete with the Sega disc drive. Well, that's how the PlayStation came to be, right? Right. Because they were simultaneously in talks with Sony and Philips CDO. <laughs> and uh, they, they eventually told them both to F off, and they both released their own system. And, of course, the Sony PlayStation took off Gangbusters. Yeah, definitely the PlayStation was the superior console of the two. Um, but the Philips CDI, though, did lead... It's a fascinating little tale, I feel. I mean, they, right, they the went further into the contract. That's why they had the rights to Mario and Zelda. They produced the shittiest Mario and Zelda games. Well, the Mario game just like some, like, forgettable piece of shit, like, yeah, arcade game. Like, you just, like, run around and, like, shut doors. Right. Mario. Um, but the Zelda games are truly spectacular in their crappiness. If listeners have not ever, like, looked up videos of the cutscenes from Wand of Gamelon or um, Zelda's Adventure, I think the other one is. Yeah, it's... Um, they're closer. Oh, Faces of Evil. It's Faces of Evil and Wand of Gamelon are the ones with the really god awful cartoon. And then there's like a Zelda's Adventure one that's. Yeah, it's just whatever. But yeah, those are a sight to behold. You should definitely look them up. I mean, because they essentially they feel like you're playing like Ghost and Goblins or like an old school Joust game or it's just. It's super simplistic. It has none of the feel and flavor yeah. 
of any of the actual Zelda games. Yeah, they're definitely a black eye on the <laughs> franchise, which most fans, myself included, don't hold it against the franchise. We don't really consider them Zelda games. Yeah, nobody really considers them part of the franchise. It was kind of a technicality. They got yeah, to use the name. They're otherwise unblemished record. Of, I mean, not all Zelda games are like masterpieces, but it's kind of like the Pixar thing, right? Even a bad Zelda game is still a pretty good game. Like Skyward Sword, better than a lot of games. Oh yeah. Just not up to Legend of Zelda's pedigree. So, uh... Is that Thor with a Ghost Rider hat going on there? Yep. Um, breaking Doctor Strange's leg. Now, I'm not sure about what's going on here continuity-wise, because they're at least heavily implying that Thor is... Uh, dead? Well, yes. The current story arc in Jason Aaron's run is Death of the Mighty Thor. Um, okay, spoiler alert for a comic came out last week. Um, she... Transform the Thor again, knowing that it would certainly kill her because the cancer. Every time, okay, so like every time she transforms into Thor, it wipes out the chemotherapy treatments that she's been getting because, like, her body, like the magic is like ridding the body of that impurity, which stands reason. But it's not getting rid of the cancer because it apparently considers the cancer part of her own body. So her cancer is getting worse and worse every time she transforms into Thor. And she was told by Doctor Strange, uh, Thor, Odin's son, and everyone else that you are going to die if you turn into Thor again. But she did it anyway because she felt that she had to go face the man Which is one of those fun sentences that I get to say when talking about comics, and I'm glad that it came out. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it seems as they're setting it up to look like Jane Foster is screwed, which I guess that stands to reason what with um, old Thor stepping back into the mantle again. So it seems like the timing is... I'm sure there's going to be some sort of twist to it, like there's something we're not going to be expecting about how the story arc ends, but this, though, does seem to not fit well into continuity, because in the Thor book, Loki is still the Sorcerer Supreme, but in the last issue of this book, um, he is no longer Sorcerer Supreme, so... I'm not sure how to make heads or tails of all that, but it, I guess, could be filed away into the don't worry about it. Uh, which is a much better way to enjoy some things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially with continuity, with like several different writers writing about characters that cross over into different books sometimes. They try to borrow plot elements, but the timing is inherently going to be off sometimes. So, if you're a comics fan, you sometimes just have to not worry about it when it comes to timing and continuity. Now, did the Terrifics come out this week? I think I either missed it on the shelf or you guys must have sold out of it. That's a new DC book that's effectively ripping off Fantastic Four, but I was looking forward to it. I was watching Turning your tank. 
Ah, sorry folks, Larry's off looking at the shelves here. So, I guess I shall try to entertain you. Yeah, damn. Um, sold out of traffic's number one. Well, I'll try to order a second. Oh, well. I should have put it on my pull list, I suppose. What a wonderful plot. Ah. So, uh, other than the bizarre Doctor Strange with the Ghost Rider uh, Jane Foster, uh, what else have you been reading here lately? Well, this week I also picked up Moon Knight. Uh, the Spectacular Spider-Man, Darth Vader, and Black Panther. And I'm actually looking forward to an interview in here, uh, more so than I am the comic. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to the comic, but apparently this is going to feature an exclusive conversation between Ta-Nehisi Coates, who writes this book, and the director of Black Panther, Ryan Pugler. So that should make for a good read. Oh, and apparently they're also doing the whole Where is Wolverine Is that like Waldo? Well, Wolverine has been bumbling around the Marvel Universe uh, popping up releases. I think it's probably going to be a feature in the back of the Oh, there looks to be that. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely a couple of pages. Um, now, is there like an interviewer, or are they just like having a conversation amongst themselves? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it does appear, uh, I see some questions getting asked in there, so it does appear to be. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't call it a formal interview, because uh, it is, you know, hey, what's up, you know, that's kind of thing, uh, but, wow, so what's the big difference between the current Black Panther and the movies? Uh, or in the movie? I feel like T'Challa himself is probably the same, although he's certainly not as young as he is. In the movie, he's like, you know, a freshly, you know, freshly minted king. He just rose to the throne. He's a young man. Um, I always get the impression reading this Black Panther book, and, you know, Black Panther as a character in general, that he is something of a weathered hand, I guess. Like, he's been kicking it around for years. This is like a Black Panther who's been around the block a few more times than movie Black Panther. Probably the biggest change, though, is with Shuri, his sister, who in the movie is, you know, scientist, like, you know, tech expert. Whereas in the comics right now, she has powers based off of being a griot. You know, a... Uh, 
storyteller who passes down history in African cultures. So, drastically different power set in uh, those two depictions. Well, you know, it's definitely, it seems like Marvel does better with the techie stuff as far as making the techie stuff more believable than the spiritual, mystical stuff. It is true that the movies do a good job of not getting as convoluted as the comics do at a time. Um, but that, I mean, comics do have a lot more room to kind of, you know, spread out their wings and do a bit more. They have, you know, decades worth of stories built up, and some of it is bound to become good. I was talking to a uh, friend at work today, though. She was, like, she showed me this video about these guys, like, you know, speculating about what they want to see in Black Panther sequel. One of the things they mentioned was, like, what if Nakia ends up being a traitor? <laughs> or, like, you know, becoming the villain of the next movie. Because in the comics at one time, um, she did actually kill um, a girl friend of T'Challa. And I pointed out that just because it happened in the comics does not mean it's a good idea because over the decades of people telling stories, you know, different writers trying different things, some really stupid ideas have gone into print. Well, yeah. And these ideas do kind of get just like kind of ignored as the time goes by, you know, like different parts of the backlog are sort of elevated to being like the main story, I feel like. Like, I don't think anyone would consider Batmite part of Batman, except for Grant Morrison, of course, because he just fucking loves that shit. But. Yeah, there's, like, there's, Are you saying that I, I shouldn't hold my breath for the Bat-Cow book? You probably should not, no. Yeah. Um, there's hundreds of stupid Silver Age Superman stories that most people would not really consider, you know, part of Superman's legacy today. Um, especially with DC, because they've actually reset continuity, but there's lots of stupid Spider-Man stories, lots of stupid Captain America stories, lots of stupid Thor stories that will be brought back as sort of an in-joke by a writer every now and then. That's part of just And I feel like... That particular feature of Black Panther's past probably will not be brought in. At least I hope not, because that would be like a silly right Well, yeah, I think they'll definitely uh, end up doing something. Not we're not turning one of the the likable characters they established into villains. Oh yeah, that would be um, yeah. Um, that would be a real. They wouldn't want to piss off the movie going audience like that. Right, which um, is which they shouldn't want to do that because I think it would also make for a bad story. They've done they did a lot in this movie to establish his relationship with her, and you don't want to see them burn that bridge after putting in all the work. People um, have also pointed out, like in the comics, he gets married to Storm. Also, not going to happen because not only are we years away from seeing the X Men in the MCU, if it does in fact happen. Ah, dice spell. 
So not only are we years away from that happening at all, but they'd have to establish Storm in the X-Men corner of the MCU before they could ever get her to even meet Blackadder, and then probably not get them married until, like, a little while after that. And they'd have to break him up with Nakia. So that's way too much to have to do to get him and Storm together, and it's it would be a bad idea to try to make it happen. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure they're going to have... Uh, probably multiple Black Panther movies before they have... Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure we can expect the sequel out by probably like 2021, We probably won't expect uh, the first Disney X-Men movies for a while. Uh, Being really optimistic, 2020 is probably the earliest they can do it. And that's uh, probably not going to be that fast. And they've also, you know, they've said they're letting the Fox Studios still do Deadpool, you know, I mean, so it's... Oh, yeah, I mean, I feel like if I was Disney, I wouldn't necessarily want Deadpool in the MCU. Honestly, I mean, I would uh, let the main X-Men universe be its own thing. Yeah, well, they want to use the X Men, especially Wolverine. So, but they could definitely pick and choose what they brought over. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the X Men franchise has been really all over the place under Fox Fox's stewardship. It is. Um, there's been uh, some genuinely crappy ones. There's been some you know, pretty damn good ones. Um, the ones that are the best are the ones that are furthest removed from the other X Men movies, like Logan and Deadpool. But Deadpool works best the way he is right now, just like really his own thing. And using the backdrop of the other movies just as a way of awesome. Well, and I think they've done pretty well with The Gifted, the X Men TV show. I haven't checked it out yet. Is it good? I like it. Okay. Now. It has the. the you know, the Hellfire Club is an overarching villain type. Uh, you know, and of course, uh, you know, this is right as they're starting the mutant registration type act, or, or either right before, but, you know, they don't have giant robot sentinels, but they have the sentinel program, you know. Uh, so, and of course, it takes place in an alternate future. Uh, set after first class or whatever, only in that world where first class you now happened in the 90s or in the 60s, you now this is taking place in the whole timeline with the first class trilogy is a real shit show. I mean, those movies are like 20 years apart in the universe, and none of those motherfuckers have aged more than a couple of years. So, well. This takes place like twenty years after those, uh, and 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 the Brotherhood and the X Men have went MIA. Yeah, and uh, there's been some. There was some mutant rights protests right before the show started. You know, uh, in store in universe or whatever, and it was a big disaster. It's supposed to be a nine eleven scale disaster where you now a bunch of people died. 
both mutants and non-mutants. Anyway, um, they use that civil rights, anti-terrorism type play on backwards to make a very compelling drama. I think they did pretty good with it. Um, but, um, any final thoughts? Fair enough. Alright, well. That was legitimately my final thought. We'll check us out next time. Uh, find us here at Comic C2 in Madison, Tennessee. Or find us online at ComicC2.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash Comic City 2 or OutrightGeekery.com or wherever bad podcasts are sold. Uh, or you can check our website where we give it away for free. So, uh, uh, there's one radio broadcaster that says all good radio broadcasters have a signature sign-off. Does that apply to podcasts? I would assume so. I mean, what is your equivalent of, like, not necessarily radio, but, like, broadcasting in general? They seem to have sign-off, right? I mean, you could be, like, where's your good night and good luck? Edward R. Now, I don't know. It was for the longest time. Good night, Elaine. That was our sign But Yeah, but Jules has been, like, missing for decades yeah. now. Yeah. Who knows if he even exists? It's just stupid to keep doing that way. Yeah. I don't even know if Elaine listens to us anymore. Almost certainly not. Why would you? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, now that Jules is an on, and I don't think she's a comic reader, so I feel like we, she is not our target demographic. Probably not. I feel like if she asked me for a podcast recommendation, I wouldn't recommend this one for her. If anybody asks you for a podcast recommendation, would you recommend this one? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it'd be a little self-serving, but I don't know. Like, I know that they are a comic book slash nerd culture enthusiast. That's the kind of shit we deal with. Fair enough. <sighs> but anyway, we'll catch you next week.